There's a whole, you know, like an outward breath going on at the moment in mm. the world. And, and so nobody is, is breathing in, nobody is listening to all that which is being expressed. Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 334. Today is Sunday the 30th of June 2019. And this interview is with Dr. Lidove Niesink. Lidove is an independent scholar and practitioner who focuses on the development of empathy theory in education. She's also an author. She dedicates her professional life to the integration of fundamental and applied research from science in psychology, philosophy, social neuroscience, arts and anthropology with practice-based experiential methods. In this delightful podcast with Lidove, we discuss what is empathy, how and why it's useful in business and organizations, how to embed it using the empathy intervision process. Lidove provides a very sound and grounded approach that's really worth listening to. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue podcast, where we discuss branding and all things digital. I am Minter Dial, your host, and you'll find the show notes on my eponymous site, MinterDial.com. Enjoy the show. Lidove Nizink. I hope I got that right. Start off. That's great. Um, great to have you on the show. As um, as you know, I, I'm mostly uh, for the last year focusing a lot of my attention on, on empathy, and it's been a real learning process. And you and I connected uh, thanks to our mutual connection with Edwin Rutsch uh, and his development. He's the culture of empathy, and then the development of this notion of empathy, empathy circles. So. With that, Lidove, I'm very happy to have you on the show so we can talk about more about empathy and, uh, and what you're up to. So in your own words, describe yourself. So me, myself, well, you know, just another girl working on empathy. Isn't it, isn't it <laughs> so, so that... I've been... You just so, isn't it so that some, there is a preconception about women and empathy as opposed to men and empathy? Yeah, but there's so many preconceptions about empathy. I think that we need to do some real myth busting there. Let's do some of that. Let's go for whole, it. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. I've been attracted to empathy quite early on. Um, I had a chance to, I did. I studied psychology in the Netherlands. I'm Dutch, studied psychology in the Netherlands. And somewhere during my third year, I got picked up by a professor who was doing a project around empathy and helping others in need. And, you know, being a woman, a woman as I am, <laughs> I thought, oh, yeah. <laughs> so I jumped on the bandwagon and I studied empathy within social psychology and within organizational psychology and working with sociologists as well and how empathy relates to whether we help other people or not. So that's how I started with the whole empathy thing, and that's now 18, 18 years ago, something like that. Did the PhD, loved the research, loved the work, but also felt like there's such a, a need for practice, right? We do a lot of talking around empathy. But empathy, I think it, you really need to, you know, have flying hours going on. You need to work empathy. So that became my second real fascination. And ever since, I'm now uh, doing research on the one hand, but very much in terms of 
practical. How do we do this? Yeah, so instead of talking a lot, maybe you're listening a lot. I'm listening a lot, yeah. So <laughs> but you, not only listening. Yeah, of yeah. course. So um, really, we talked at the very beginning about these misconceptions, preconceptions, myths. For us, what is your definition of empathy? Mm. So for me, so for me, there's two main things in empathy. First, it's empathy is a competence, right? It's a skill. It's something. It's not an emotion that um, overwhelms us and that that we feel for somebody else, and that's it. I believe that empathy it's multi-layered. It has many, many different aspects. And in order to get skilled, you need to practice. So you need to really work it and get better at it, just like you do with mathematics, right? You need to work it and work it and work it, and you'll find that you get more skilled if you if you do if you work harder, <laughs> as with many things. Um, so multi-shaped, multi-layered, but the basic thing about empathy is. For me, empathy is being able to hold a space for somebody else, to express themselves as they are, or to experience themselves as they are. So really to hold that space without interfering um, in that experience. So at that, that moment when you're not interfering, does the other person need to perceive your empathy? Or is it you know, the feeling safe, is that the perception of empathy that we're talking about? Because afterwards they speak, no judgment back. What is it that defines the empathy? Or who is the person that's defining the empathy? Am I the one being empathic towards you and I know I'm being empathic? The other person have to feel that I'm being empathic for it to be valid? I think that's a very interesting question. And, and my answer would be no, I don't think so. I think it depends on whether you are two people in front of each other perceiving each other. So if there is a, a dialogue going on, then usually you do perceive empathy being somebody empathizing with you is something you, you perceive. And feeling safe is then a consequence of being empathized with, right? But not necessarily so. I think you can very well... It's, it's also a way of refraining yourself from constantly stepping into another person's space. And that other person might not at all be aware of the fact that you have to refrain yourself from doing that, right? So empathy can be just that, refraining yourself, having the other person expressing, doing whatever they need to do at that moment um, without them being aware of you being empathic in that very moment. Yeah so, yeah, so in a, obviously in a, in a larger context where you're observing many people, for example, in a business, mm -hmm. uh, the act of being empathic doesn't mean that the thousands of people need to see you being empathic necessarily. What happens afterwards as a consequence of your observations and allowing for the safe space, or, or, or at least for a non-judgmental evaluation of the people, uh, is is where the money hits the the, ro the rubber hits the road kind of thing, mm -hmm. but it, it was an intuitive reception of the empathy, such that the product that I'm going to now use is going to be better acclimated to what I want. But I'm not. It's not going to say on it stamped with empathy. 
No. It's it's gonna it's gonna be oh well this this really oh this is a great product. Exactly. It really it suits speaks me. to my need. Yeah. It speaks to wherever I am. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So when you you wrote in in a blog post you wrote empathy experts are shooting up uh, everywhere these days and uh, i wrote um, a post myself about how at south by southwest the big conference in austin texas there were so many uh subjects around empathy or the word empathy was being employed regularly at a high level in so many different talks that it's true that there is a feeling that it's it's maybe let's say becoming trendy i don't know if if you with your history have believed it's been trendy in the past but i certainly feel that there is a, a bubbling up of of empathy as a topic and awareness of it and many many experts so tell tell us what you think about whether yeah. we are in a trend or not yeah definitely definitely so when I started this work, there was really very little work around empathy. And it's not that it hasn't been studied. Huh? It's been studied. It started in the, in the 1800s, probably before, but when we started naming it such or sympathy or huh? confusion there. But so it's not that it wasn't there. It's just that in mainstream, empathy was not. When I, in the beginning, gave presentations and I asked people, so what is empathy? Many people had no answer to that question, right? Many people had no idea. Empathy, never heard of. What is that? Like apathy, like you don't care about anything or like, you know. Sympathy. People, and... Yeah, yeah. Many people didn't, didn't understand. But even if they would mention sympathy, that would be already, you know, a relationship there. But even that was not there. So nowadays, when you ask people what is empathy, everybody has some answer. Right? So I think there we can see a real trend mm. and we see it used a lot in marketing. We see you use it a lot in, in different business contexts. We see it used a lot in healthcare where there's a struggle between um, doctors or, or specialists and patients or clients. So yeah, definitely empathy is definitely very trendy at the moment. And with that, I think comes a real risk of abuse, right? If mm -hmm. we, and I think that's also maybe we also really measure the trendiness of empathy by the fact that there is now people who are writing books against empathy, mm -hmm. right? It's this Mr. Bloom. There's a thing, yeah, yeah, Mr. Bloom. There's a thing going on there. Yeah. So why why it becomes so trendy? Um, why is it such a thing? Different reasons, probably. Huh? We're living in an in an hyper individualistic world where everybody needs to shout out. Huh? We've got all the social medias, and everybody is constantly on the look at me, blah 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 blah. And and very very few people nowadays are listening or are even capable. Of listening right we're also living in a very stressed out world where the pace of life is going extremely fast where technology is going so fast that we stop understanding what we're doing there's a so it's exciting times and and I think there's a whole you know like an outward breath going on at the moment in mm. the world and and so nobody is is breathing in nobody is listening to all that which is being expressed a bit overdone of course what i'm saying here but that's yeah. like that's the movement i see and you see that in politics as well right we see it in politics where 
our politicians are pretending to listen to us mm. and then we've voted Brexit and then it doesn't happen. Huh? Mm. So there's this, there's a, yeah, there, I think empathy, there's, it's timely. It's not for no reason that it's trendy. In the definition of, of empathy, or at least from the root of the word, some people talk about the empathos, mm -hmm. so the feeling in. Um, do you feel that that's a, a correct word? Do you, uh, you know, if you had to rewrite the word today, would you think that that is the right word for the feeling we're trying to talk about? Well, not in, if we're using feeling in the way as we're, we're using it nowadays, I don't think so. I, I don't think it's, I think it's very misfortunate because feeling has that, um, how do you call that in English? That, I lost the word. You know, this very sensitive type of, mm -hmm. um, I need to feel into, you know, I, I, I don't, I think that's, that's definitely not what empathy is in terms of, it's not sentimental, that was the word. Right. It's not a sentiment, right? So, but then again, if you, if you take feeling as more of an experiencing, trying to experience, experience into the world of another person or other people, then yeah, that, that's possible. And then pathos, you know, it's not all suffering. Eh? Empathy is not like compassion. You know, there we're talking about suffering, but empathy is not necessarily about suffering at all. It started with aesthetics. It started with rope dancers and trying to, you know, when we're watching a, a dancer on a rope and we get this whole visceral experience of that dancer on the rope and hopefully they're not going to fall off. That's a, that's a thing, that's a, a feeling into the experience of another person. Whether that is their real experience or not is something else. Mm. But at least we're trying to get into, or it happens to us maybe even in that situation, it happens to us that we are feeling into now experience. Hmm. So it makes me think that um, to connect dots, maybe we're feeling out of balance today. And uh, that's why we need more more empathy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I think what we what we want is we want to connect more with each other. Right. right? We we're not we're a social species. We're interdependent. We can't do without each other. But we live in this world where we think that individualism, uh, at least here in the West, uh, individualism is our our birthright. It's our greatest good. It's like it's almost as important as money. Right. Do you feel that, speaking of the East and West, that there are cultural differences to empathy? Um, I think there's cultural differences to the expression of empathy. But when you look at empathy research, um, other than expression, I'm not sure we are that different, really. So we're differently conditioned. We, I mean, we're... And we're, we're the, co the collectivistic cultures with much more emphasis on, on the on the community and on, but within that we still need to be able to listen to each other, make space for each other, um, and so these needs these needs I'm not sure they are that different, and at least I'm not aware of any research which is really showing, oh yeah, there's a clear difference between cultures. Another. 
area that I've come across in my different presentations and chats is the notion of empathy within a tribe. Mm -hmm. Tribalism has now gotten a pretty bad rap. Mm -hmm. Yet, as human beings in a social context, that is what we are. We, we, we live in communities and, and we create these like-minded areas with purpose and intention. And, and it comes from a good place, but from the outside, it looks like, well, they're just an elite group. They're, they're, they're only thinking about themselves. So when you apply empathy within your tribe, it's probably easier because you, you have enough data points, shared experiences, memory that helps you to understand each other. Mm -hmm. To what extent is that a, a, an appropriate statement? And then the next part is, is that a limiting factor? Because maybe the harder part of empathy is to get into the shoes of somebody who is not you and not like-minded like you. Yeah, well, that's very interesting. I So the research, this in-group, out-group empathy shows it all the time. Right? For us, it's much more easy to empathize with like-minded or better better known people around us than with the others that we don't know. Um, and I think it's definitely, um, I'm not sure it's that easy, though, let me say that. Right? I'm not sure it's that easy because it's like empathizing with colleagues or empathizing with your partner. You know, me as a professional, empathizing with people I don't know around me is much more easy than empathizing with my partner, whom I know, or I think I know, through and through. And so listening and really trying to tune into his way of expressing things and what he's trying to say or what he's trying to or what he's experiencing is much more difficult than doing that with people i don't know i don't have stereotypes i don't have prejudices i don't have anything to you know i can just go in blank and and, and be there with that other person but I'm not sure I answered your question. Was... Well, so I just want to step in on that particular point, which is that yeah. the, the, the shared experiences, the accumulated understanding that you have of a person can very quickly lead you to the same thought, the same old thought. Oh, the, oh well, you know, Minter's being, you know, him, his, his usual self. And that Absolutely. clouds your ability to then peer through, peel into what I'm actually feeling, which could be a, a novel thought. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. And I think that's, so, that's also one of the qualities of, of empathy practice, is to, is to prevent that from happening, right? Is to have a consciousness around it with partners, but for instance, in organizations where you're looking for diversity, where you're looking for novelty, where you're looking for innovation, that's where you need to stop. You need to get out of that group think, group cohesion mm. type of, oh, we understand each other, we working together. You need to be able to take those perspectives that are really radically different from yours in order to come up with new, right? So, yeah. <laughs> so it is fascinating that on the one hand, it's easier to be preliminarily empathic with a total stranger than it is with someone you've known for a lifetime. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, there's an easierness to understand 
your tribe because we yes. I know your context, I know that you had a difficult childhood, I know uh, that you may you know you earn this much and 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 you have a child who has this and so I understand what's going on in, in Lidave's mind. Yet uh, the the bigger challenge is ultimately being able to go across the aisle to another mm -hmm. culture where they think differently, where their culture is different, and then to to feel into that space yeah. on, at a prolonged level because maybe initial you the chat hey how are you doing nice to meet you fully I'm, I'm listening to you. But as we go down the road, oh, well, that was weird. Oh, yeah, well, that's, exactly. that's not the kind of, uh, that's not how I think. Yeah, yeah. And that's where the judgment comes in, right? And that's where you lose the empathy practice. Because yeah. that's where you're starting to fill in the gaps with your own thoughts, your own judge, judgments. Yeah. So you've, you've written a book which is free and available online, the Empathy Circles ebook, <clears throat> which I'll be putting in the show notes. And, and this is very much a part of your work with empathy uh, intervision. So can yeah. you tell us um, what is your, your method of practicing empathy in business situations? Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, so the empathy circles was, uh, is the work I started with our mutual connection, Edwin Rutsch. We've been developing a method because that was back in 2011, 2012, where we, we really noticed you know, science around empathy starts turning around in circles, although there's new and there's more interdisciplinary work. There's a lot of problems around definition. And, and so we keep talking theory and we need practice. How do we do this? And I, I'm not at all to say that I'm the only one because there's a lot of empathy practice out there nowadays. But we started trying to connect all these different disciplines um, and build those empathy circles. And from there, I've been working since um, uh, quite a few years now with a South African colleague, Catherine Train. And we've, with her, we've been going on developing these practices, her and I, and, we, and we're researching it and we've been implementing it in a big um, organization in South Africa. Um, empathic intervision is a... Is a um, a complex practice, but a very methodic, um, structured way of taking people through uh, a process to co-create solutions to challenges. And I think that's one of the interesting things of empathy is that it is, it's always a means to an end for me. You don't empathize for the sake of empathizing. You empathize for the sake of, and then can be many different things. You have to make a, a complex decision within an, a, a, an organizational situation. Strategic decision making. Need to get all the perspectives out there. Need to have everybody on board. Need to. So, a means to an end for decision making. A means to an end for conflict resolution. A means to an end within learning environments like medical schools or design schools. I think one of the reasons, by the way, why empathy came up like that is also because design thinking as an entrepreneurial, innovative way of working within organizations came up and empathy was placed within that process. But what is interesting within that process is when you then look at, but what are you doing then in terms of empathic practice, there's a lag again. So that's, you know, mm. that's where I really try to 
step in. And so Catherine and I developed this, like what we call five layers of empathy. And we take people through these five layers of empathy, which always starts with self-empathy. Self-empathy as to develop agency, to develop the, the, the consciousness around this is me and you are you. And I'm not here to project me on you. I'm here to hold a space for you. So being able to tune into yourself, to know where you are, what you bring to the situation, these type of things, that's the first step. And then the second step is kinesthetic empathy. We also call it mirrored empathy, which is coming from the arts and the, you know, the synchronization of bodies. And a lot of empathy research is around uh, they're thinking that, like yawning, for instance, mm. the evolutionary processes there, empathy is stemming from that type of synchronization between between people. So running together or laughing together or just when we're sitting opposite to each other and you take a certain position and I imitate that position mm. and you feel better, right? Mm -hmm. These type of things. That's So the synchronization process, kinesthetic empathy. Then we have the reflective empathy, and the reflective empathy is really to work through issues. So being able to speak with each other, making sure that the other person hears you by reflecting back what you just have said. And that's a very interesting practice because it's very simple, but people are extremely surprised by what that does in terms of the deepening of the understanding of each other in terms of the feeling connected with each other, mm -hmm. and especially in terms of the, how bad we are at it. Right? Mm -hmm. We think we listen, mm -hmm. but oh, we have this constant train of thoughts in our head that is overtaking a real, real tuning into what the other person says. So that's the reflective empathy. And then the fourth layer is what we call imaginative empathy. And this is around trying to diversify as much as possible. So what are the different perspectives on an issue? How, what do they look like? And what if we start acting those out, these perspectives? So we, we do role play, acting type of, where everybody becomes an aspect of the situation and then hold the conversation with each other. And then you see, you know, taking perspectives to the extreme really helps drawing out differences, but also really helps gaining new insights. Imaginative empathy, I find, is fantastic. It is so, it's it's also very energizing to do with people, mm. right? You, mm -hmm. you need to get over your initial, oh, oh, oh I mm -hmm. have to act. Play some games. Oh. Yeah, exactly. It's playful. It's playful. But it's powerful also. It's very interesting. And then the fifth layer, and that's the last one, is what we call empathic creativity. And that's about, that's not a practice in and of itself in the sense that that is what we do in the end, although we can do it in the end. But it's very much about during that whole process, there's a lot going on and there's a lot of experience and there's a lot. But remember, empathy is a means to an end. So what is the end and what can we gain from all that we've done so far that is helping achieve that end. So it's basically a sort of harvesting of what's happening within that process, making mm -hmm. sure that we have action out of it, that we have, that we have, you know, that we make it smart, that we can work with what we've just been doing and that it's not something that we do for the sake of it and then, you know, put it in a, in a drawer and, uh, and that's it. Tick so, that uh, box. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly, yeah. Yeah, so very actionable type of approach and, and 
it's fantastic. We've been working on it for quite some years now and we're starting to get the results back from the first studies that we're doing and, and it's, yeah, it's fantastic. And it's fantastic to work with people that way. It's very, yeah, I'm very passionate about it. So there, there brings up a lot of different questions, but one of them strikes me with regard to self-empathy, this notion of developing agency. Mm -hmm. uh, agency is something that I came across in my research as well. And uh, so I want you to explain it for you in a second. But the, the context is that th this bot that I engaged with, that it was an empathic bot, purposefully gave the listener, me, agency. Wanted to, to make me feel like I had agency. And, and in that, in so doing, was going to be better, more likely to perceive empathy in the bot. Mm -hmm. So I, so it's interesting. That sort of it, it gave me a feeling that I had control. It gave me, it designed in its program a method to say, hey, what do you think? What do you want? And so mm -hmm. tell me what you mean by developing self in, in self-empathy agency. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, it's it's not about putting yourself center stage, right? If I understand that's what the bot did for you. It was making you very aware of, of your own situation, but in terms of, oh, look at me being heard. And I think that's, so agency for us is that self-awareness, a real self-awareness, and that's an embodied awareness of yourself. That's not just what's going on in my mind, that's also what's going on in my body, right? And how am I expressing myself? And how am I sitting here? And how am I... But all we do all that in order to be able to make sure that when I then connect with you, when I then reach out to you, I can feel that, oh, that judgment, that was my personal judgment. I can feel... So it's like a, an, an heightened self-awareness... Mm -hmm which you can then place in, in, in favor of being other aware, right? Mm -hmm. So when you have a self-awareness, then you can be other aware. When you don't have a self-awareness, then how do I know that what I'm thinking you are saying is not just what I'm projecting on you because it was my own internal process? Does that make sense? It does. Then in the, in the uh, mimicry, the, the, the kinesthetic, mm -hmm. In a business environment, uh, I can see some areas, maybe I, I can tilt my head according to your tilt, I can cross my legs when you're crossed your legs, I get that. Where I was, when I was working at L'Oreal, I, when I was running Redken more specifically, uh, I actually more explicitly thought about this or, or acted on it in that there was this idea that if you hug somebody for a prolonged period of time, research shows that your heartbeats start to synchronize. So there is a there is a potentially a much deeper level of mimicry that goes well beyond our more cognitive approach to you know I should nod your head when you're nodding and so on. And and there's even I believe research that you're probably more likely aware of than I am but girlfriends that are long-time uh, friends their periods start to synchronize. So yeah. that's that's very deep and yeah. 
in a business environment, how far can we go? Well, you know, that depends on the balls, right? Do we have the balls? <laughs> <laughs> so I think, yeah, so so you can you can achieve this by hugging, right? I, I, I have that, I know what you mean with that hugging thing and that, that moment of hugging beyond comfort. Right. right, so it's not it's not the American hug. It's not tap 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 tap. Yeah, no, no, no. It's not that. It's like we hug and then we hold. Yeah, and it becomes uncomfortable, and we hold a bit longer. Exactly. We need to lean into that hug, and when we start leaning into that hug, exactly that. Then we start synchronizing. So there's definitely that. I also understand that you know you're with your team of directors and you don't particularly feel like hugging all of them. But there's other ways to do this, right? So there's the synchronization of, of, for instance, simple, the synchronization of hands, right? One leads and the other follows this movement together where you are, or and you can do that, of course, whole body. And we like to work embodied because we have that, that way of, you know, having everything up in our minds, cognitive, 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 mm-hmm. cognitive. But we carry that body, and that body is showing a lot of what we're actually mm-hmm. trying to express, mm-hmm. right? So becoming aware of yourself within that whole body is very important there. So the larger you dare to make the movement, uh, the more you are able to connect, whole, have a whole body experience of that connection. I mean, so that really- can be dense, that can be, you know, that can be all sorts of all sorts of synchronization right so obviously we're talking about body language yeah 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 that's very cool hmm. um in in uh in the work environment the work you're doing you've been uh, you worked with kanza you were telling us about that and and it, it struck me at some level how do you define the problem so because you know to which empathy is the solution at some level, uh, you know, where if you get the wrong problem or you have the wrong stakeholders telling you what the problem is, because in yeah. culture, it's complex, it's messy. Well, it's just because he's, he's a bad person. Bah. Yeah. How, how do you define the, the scope? And then the key for me is measure the benefit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you know, defining the scope, I think, is always difficult, right? Because very often when you come into an organization, the organization organization thinks they know the problem because they have some sort of experience of that problem. Mm -hmm. So what we are trying to do is we're trying to get a real image of the experience of that problem more than of the naming of that problem itself Mm -hmm. so that we can look at that and we can start you know, reflecting back to, to the organization what we've heard. And so giving them an image of this is your experience of the problem, right? We do that, for instance, we did that through phenomenological interviews. So getting people really go through their experiences, guiding them through their experience of what they think the problem was or of an incident, and then distilling from there, so what are the key points in here? And what are the points that are coming back among different people? So that can be that can be all sorts of things. That in this case, for instance, the gossiping going on, mm-hmm. right? There was gossiping between people amongst each other 
um, and about each other. This was not defined as a problem, but it was one of the one of the the, the consequences of or one of the expressions of right. the problem. That's what it was. So, and I think that is also a key to the measurement of what's going on, right? You 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 don't we we measure empathy when we do empathy interventions, but measuring empathy is 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 very I, I'm, it's difficult to say right because that's what what we're doing but it's a mess yeah. <laughs> measuring empathy is very often if it's quantified then it is um, questionnaires right which are very prone to social desirability because everybody knows how to pretend they're empathic right so there's a lot of that going on so uh, but again if you take empathy as the means to the end then the measurement needs to be on the end mm -hmm. if the empathy intervention is there to prevent burnout then you have to look at burnout right if the empathy intervention is there to make to be able to make a successful strategic strategic decision then you need to look at how do we define success within this type of decision and that's what you need to measure in the end so it's not a you know you can't just say oh you measure this and that and that's it you, you really need to adapt to the situation and, and that's what i find is so interesting about this work is that it is so adaptable you know so you also you don't go in with just one method you go in after you've you've analyzed the situation properly and you and the organization agrees right because you, you need to be on one page about what you're going to do so if that's what's going on then this is what we could do and that needs to be adapted that's not a one fix for all it's, it's not I, I, I wonderful uh, explanation uh, Lidove and and so reassuring that you don't have a way to measure empathy because I certainly haven't come up with one it strikes me it's like trying to measure love uh, there are times when you are more loving to somebody and then there are times when you have a fight, especially with your loved ones. And, and it doesn't mean that you're less love in love at some level, but it can, by the way. And and empathy, you can apply it at certain times. It's more necessary. At others, you you don't need to have empathy because uh, you have to do something else. And so the last question for you um, really is about this notion of how much empathy should we be doing? Sometimes I get the feeling with this running around and how empathy is so great and does so many things. There's I, I get this feeling of tyranny of empathy where, yeah. oh, well, you're not meant to. You're not, you just wrote a book on empathy. You're not being very empathic. Yeah. Explain to us how you feel that if we were all the time to everybody empathic, would that be a good thing? And if not, why not? Yeah. No. Why would we be empathic all the time to other people? I think... I don't see the point of that. First of all, we're not always in connection with other people, right? And we need our own private space. And we need also to retreat within our own private space. And maybe that's also one of the ailments of our time is that we are not doing that enough, that we are so out there, out there, out there, out there. So no, 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 there's no need to empathize all the time. I don't, we, we empathize because we want to understand others better. So that, that's a reason to empathize. We empathize because we need to connect with others at work. We need to form teams. We need to do a job together and we need to be on the same page. Then we empathize. 
We empathize because we take complicated decisions. We empathize because we need to um, put another person at ease in order to be able to give them a diagnosis around their their physical state or their you know there's there's always a reason to empathize. But that's not a 24/7 job, right? Would you say we should empathize all the time? No. No, no, absolutely not. And I, but I, I, I like to hear that from a PhD who's specialized in empathy, <laughs> as opposed to me, just a silly pundit writing about it. You know, it's very, uh, you know, my my depth of knowledge of the concepts uh, is, you know, is is much more shallow. And uh, and yet I've always explored it, but it's been on a very intuitive level. And and I feel like you know there are times when you know intense listening. And the time accorded to it is there and you need to make it. There are times when you just can't because exactly. there's a time I have a deadline and it's noon and I've got to put this paper out. Then, you know, so in a pragmatic fashion, it's just not appropriate. And, and ultimately, going back to a prior conversation about tribalism, I, I feel that you know, you, you need to spend time developing it with your tribe. I mean, if you can't do it with your nearest people, then why are you running out and doing it with the others? So that sometimes you need to focus on the hearth yeah. and, and what's important for you, self, then for your pro close, and then move out. Because if you're only focusing the others and not doing yourself or your community... So anyway, so the notion of empathy is, is varied and, and according to the the end that you're trying to achieve maybe that's the the yeah. yeah that's that's how i see it and also you know that you can't be too hard on yourself i mean i'm i'm at times really bad at this right and ask my partner right? it's there again it's there where you where you need to give your full in order to be able to do that and you can't give your full all the time it's just impossible you need your cognitive resources for other tasks you need to so no there's no i don't believe in 24 7 empathy and i, and I don't think it's a cure to all either right and at the risk of being provocative removing empathy can allow us to do some things that sometimes the darker side which is not a necessarily an evil side Mm -hmm. allows us to explore because if we're in constant worry about the ant that we're going to step on mm -hmm. because we're being empathic with ants well we may never be able to take another step oh but there you know there i'm not sure i agree with you because Good. i can because i, I think <laughs> because i think you can definitely be empathic and empathy is not that touchy-feely, warm, ugly thing for psychotherapists. Huh? I think you can be very empathic, really getting into the source of what's going on, and then decide that what it needs is a kick in the ass. And then you go for that kick in the ass, and that doesn't mean that you're not empathic, right? So I do think that as long as you're working with other people, you need some way of tuning into them and yourself on a basically constant basis, but that doesn't mean a constant conscious basis, right? And you, but in order for your your decisions to be effective and efficient, you need to be able to manage that process on a constant basis. So, but that doesn't mean that you can't be tough. That doesn't mean that you can't take hard decisions. That doesn't mean you need to. You need to.
So yeah, so yeah, there's you can let the dark come out. <laughs> well, on that, Lidave, <laughs> yes, <laughs> tell us how people can uh, follow your research, um, connect with you, hire you to do some of your fantastic uh, empathic intervision work. Yeah, so I'm very visible on the internet. Once you know how to spell my name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, L-I-D-E-W-I-J, go for that. Niezink, N-I-E-Z-I-N-K. That's it, dot com. That's my website. And there you find all my contact details and you find more about my work and some of my writings as well. I'm also very active on LinkedIn and I'd love to connect with people on LinkedIn because, um, yeah, it's just a great professional network to work with. And I've, I've been doing a lot of work through LinkedIn and there I'm running an empathy um, best practice and research network as well. So one of the LinkedIn groups, if you look for empathy, you'll find it there. There, I'm, I'm very active as well, so you're, you're very welcome to join and to and to jump into the conversation. And I think it's it's a wonderful way to. I'm always open to learn together and to explore situations together. And to, I think that's it's my passion, and I and I love to to share that with people. So either through my website or through LinkedIn, you'll find you'll find me. You'll find me. Well, I'll help if not with show notes, Lidave. Thanks so I think much. your passion comes through uh, and your ability to clarify for me has been great. And I thank you for being on the show and let's keep connecting. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. It's really wonderful. Yeah. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue show. You'll find the show notes and other blog posts on MinterDial.com. If you enjoyed the show, please head over to iTunes to give a rating and review. And to finish... Here's a song I wrote with Stephanie Singer, A Convinced Man.
best-known investor and Wall Street expert Warren Buffett once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel.